2: And Welcome to the Raw review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hambler and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Manarow. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review Raw but also SmackDown, NXT, Boy, oh, AW Dynamite, AW Rampage pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. With the money quiz, of course, on a culture As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidge to review Monday Night Raw. Two weeks away from Survivor Series, Sidge.
3: What a bloody hell's going on! You know they finally got a direction at least. It felt from the outside looking in that they didn't know if they could be asked with the Raw bit <laughs> SmackDown thing. <laughs> Subsequently, realised I've not really built anything else, so why not go for it? Um, what's going on is that. They themselves, in a rare display of self-awareness, have realized that the premise behind all of this is complete bollocks. Nobody's really interested. So what they've instead done is just drop some bollocks on social media. Decided we'll try and build some stuff for after the fact because it sells itself through Michael Cole's incessant insistence that, you know, it's a one night per year. It isn't like Roman Reigns is doing the frigging Long Island show. (laughs) And yeah, in in the absence of any gripping storylines that are heading towards a conclusion or whatever, they've just decided to stick 10 extra minutes on matches to the effect of like pretty much total apathy on my part. Yeah,
1: I didn't... Hate this role. There is some utter nonsense on this role, which we will get to. And by, like, I genuinely mean stuff that didn't make sense. Not just your typical WWE fluff and silliness. There's the typical gaping plot holes to try and dive over. Um, these podcasts have got more frigging curves than I have. There's always, like, the way that we grade WWE is like nothing else. Certainly, like, no other wrestling that we would ever review. Um, however, uh, if this... A, a formatting note for Raw, from somebody that watches this show at double speed, um, bang into roles that are anchored by 20-minute matches, hugely into them, because it feels increasingly like an episode of NXT 2.0, just with elongated actual contests. That didn't feel, this is not the first time this has happened in the last month, and I don't know if it's something to do with touring schedules or access to wrestlers or whatever it is, but I think this is the way to go with Raw. I didn't find this, again, through cheating the system and through being able to watch it like twice as fast as anybody else that has to sit there actually on a Monday night in yeah. America on their network, like my sympathy is with them fans. However, when you can watch matches quicker than some of the segments that you have to watch, fair enough, you can watch them a little bit quicker, but you have to listen to this garbled nonsense that these performers are forced to spew out every single week. I'm in favor of it. I feel like the wrestlers, we always say that the wrestlers have more chance of getting over when they're allowed to wrestle in WWE because the promos are there to bury them, really. Um, I didn't find this as insufferable as normal, and I don't even hate the direction for the WWE champion. I think I think I've nailed it down there. I wouldn't say it's what it's like a particularly good angle, but I quite like Big E's direction as champion at present. So, like, not a total failure either, narratively speaking.
2: Me and Murray were chatting in the office earlier, Sage saying, "I can't imagine." sitting down and watching this at normal speed and even worse sitting down to watch this at normal speed when it's on with adverts so dedicating legitimately three hours to something like this especially when and obviously we'll get to it maybe we won't the main event you dedicate what 20-25 minutes of your evening to something and fair play to them it was an enjoyable match yes we've seen them fight a lot and but they took some rough bumps in there but it's, it's all for naught isn't it at the end of the day It was a count-out victory for for the fact that one of them had to slightly run around Big E.
3: Bollocks. It builds to something, but usually when you have a match that builds to something and the match, therefore, isn't important as a match in itself. I just resented this role. Like, more than the stupid roles, which, honestly, I can half-enjoy at times. Like, I watched three matches that, between them, There was 25 to half an hour, 25 minutes to half an hour of just, uh, we've got now else. So just whack them in the ring for a little bit longer than necessary. 25 minutes. If you're looking at this from a really pedantic narrative point of view, 25 minutes, I've been conditioned to expect that match duration as a main event Mm. for a pay-per-view, something conclusive, something that's designed to blow you away. Not something that's designed as just a hook for next week. Like, it's just a dissonance for me. A 25-minute main event that was essentially an angle masquerading as a match. It didn't need to go 25 minutes. It didn't. I just felt sorry for the amount of bumps taken. And neither did I. Don't
2: even remember hardly anything from that. What was it? A four-on-four four match earlier on in the
3: night, and that went about 20 odd minutes. Like it's just a match for match's sake. I can't receive it as this great blowaway match the admirable effort put forth in it by the actual talent involved because it doesn't really mean anything. It's not a main event. It's nothing conclusive. It's not designed to truly elevate someone. It's just there to make other things happen. So there's no excuse for those matches to go as long as they did.
2: Well, let's let's get into it and uh, we'll dissect this show as we go through it. The show opens up with uh, Kevin Owens and Biggie in the back. Big E's oiling himself up. And Kevin Owens is desperately trying to explain that he isn't the same guy he was before. He doesn't just turn on his friends nowadays. Um, he says, "Like, I know I've got a bit of history with the New Day, but I've changed. I'm trying to be sincere. Biggie just doesn't care and walks off. And then we go straight into a Seth Rollins promo, uh, who walks down in a preposterous outfit, so like a blue, like he's a Flasher, blue raincoat sort of thing.
3: Which side is he on?
2: <laughs> Everyone think in he looks stupid. He welcomes us to Monday Night Rollins uh, And bangs on about great ears. He's the face of Monday Night Raw. He's going to lead the team to victory over those Smackdown bombs at Survivor Series. Uh, and he says, but who is Kevin Owens? That's the real question. Is he the prize fighter? Is he the person who puts it all on the line for the WWE universe? Or is he a snake, a liar, a spineless coward? He talks about he's known each other. Uh, they've known each other, Rollins and Owens, for a long old time. They came up in the industry together. And if you know one thing about Kevin Owens, he that he stabs his friends in the back. Just ask Sami Zayn or The New Day. Owens is as low as he gets, uh, as low as it gets. And he can't be as trusted as far as he can be thrown, which uh, isn't far at all. Michael Sidgwick, the floor is yours. Nail
3: it. Victory Lab. <laughs> I knew they were going to... As soon as I realised there was a storyline premised on whether or not you can trust Kevin Owens, I knew they were going to factor that line as far as you can throw him. But, you know, it's fair. <laughs> so you can't really throw him very far. I'll be nice to this. It's a heel saying it, so it's fine. In the context of the fiction, I guess it's fine. It's it's well, it's it's again, it's the curve. It's significantly better for Seth Rollins to see it than for Big E to see it. Yes,
2: um, but even so, as you pointed out in the office earlier, it's effectively the company saying it about a guy they're trying to convince to stick around. I mean, you expected them to stick
3: around, wouldn't you? He's like for it's one of those where it's like well, he gets booked terribly, but it's like it's one of those where it's like they don't think that he's mm. consistently on TV. He's always a guy that can slot in at a B-level pay-per-view main event. Like surely one would expect that Kevin Owens has got that sort of elusive trust that Vince has, hence why there's like about nine people on each show every week. <laughs> he's one of the few trusted people on this show. So you'd think that if they were going, and it's wrestling, you can't just like give him every belt and make him a hero. You have to get heat despite the fact you're trying to do this, but you wouldn't. Yeah, it makes no sense to call him fat if you're presumably trying to get him to renew his contract.
1: <laughs> he's a yellow cell on the spreadsheet rather than the green mm. one. He's not a human being. He's not a wrestler. It doesn't matter if he's fat or thin, he's yellow.
2: <laughs> well, uh, Rollins concluded the promo by saying that Owens is the biggest liar in the world. After tonight, he's going to be the biggest loser as well. Uh, this brings out Owens, of course. They get into a little brawl. He tries to powerbomb Rollins on the apron, but Rollins hightails it out of there. Uh, yeah, Hamflot, what did you make of the this promo from Rollins and the weird the oiling up Big E segment from before? <laughs> um, I, I like the oiling up thing because
1: I think it is Big E just making fun where there's absolutely none to be had in, uh, in WWE. I didn't mind this, like Seth Rollins take on Kevin Owens. It's logical, I guess. Um, The roots of any heel is that they should believe what they're saying, even when Seth Rollins cannot really act. Nobody really knows what this character is. He wears clothes with the explicit attempt to irritate. Yeah, he's like, he's Robbie Savage, do you know? Like he kind of, Seth Rollins just exists to like dress slightly funny and say controversial things to annoy people. (laughs) And at this point, like all of that is very dated. You can wear whatever you like and nobody's going to care anymore. You can, you have to say the most hideous, heinous things to draw a reaction. Seth Rollins is none of those things, you know, he's like, so he doesn't, I don't think this is really proper heat. I don't think this is really a a story. I think it would be overly kind to say that it's decent storytelling or they're building to anything big between Seth and Big E. I guess after tonight, um, you've got Seth and Kevin Owens as strange bedfellows on the Survivor Series team. Now that they're both heels together, they're a different kind of villains, but they're both villains nonetheless. I guess there's something to that. Um, Not bad in the context of what they were teasing out for the rest of the show, but rubbish by, by any... Like, <laughs> against any set of standards, rubbish. But,
2: you know, WWE's bars below the floor, isn't it? I was going to say, that the only credit I can give them is, hey, they booked this main event in advance. This wasn't a hot shot as a result of this. It was already happening.
3: I mean, that's, you know, again, <laughs> that's the curve. The bare this minimum. The thing that should be happening on a goddamn emulation of a sporting broadcast. I I thought, just is yeah, unusual. I don't know really you have them when I'm watching this show. I, just, I hate my life. I couldn't tell whether Biggie was an elusive, like, thank Christ there's one af- at last, smart baby face who had was under no delusions about what exactly Kevin Owens is mm-hmm. as a human being. Or I couldn't tell if it was muddied somewhat by the idea that Kevin Owens is like, no, no, I am trying. You're just making it really hard for me not to do it. I don't like the... I think it's a bit overthought, mm. if I'm being perfectly honest, because you can't, it's not clear if Big E's... By virtue of being a bit of a knob, has brought this on himself, and he can't really sympathise with that. And that's the ultimate key to getting over as a babyface. I'm leaning on the idea that following the events of 2019, Big Asia Smart and he realised something like this with Kevin Owens is inevitable. So I'll give it a tentative pass.
2: Uh, riddle is backstage with a really uh, really excited about tagging with the street profits in this mad eight man that we're going to get a uh, does a reference to eternals or voltron it's ruined our zeitgeist heist oh the, do it again this is what they do 2.0 preview um anyway orton's not happy with riddle he tells him to, to stop picking fights stop going after almost they've already got the target on their backs so they're the tag team champions that's what they've really got to worry about Riddle tries to argue with him with some stoner references, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Orton says, Don't care uh, when it comes to the street. I profit. don't care. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Riddle says, Oh, no, I was trying to tell you that the street profits are, are right behind you. And Orton says, Yeah, I meant what I said. Uh, if you've got a vendetta against Omos, you're on your own. Keep, leave us out of it, basically. And then we got the match. It was Arcade uh, Bro, then the street profits versus Dolph Ziggler, Robert Rudy, New uh, Dogs, Omos, and a returning AJ Styles. Great to see him back on TV, back working, back wrestling, of course. Um, for a 22-minute match, I really don't remember any of this.
3: It's crazy how WWE television does this, doesn't it? Yeah. It's almost like it's full of content for the sake of adding an extra seven to eight to ten minutes. Do you know what? One of the few things I, that
2: genuinely pops in my head without having to go through this and go through my notes was the bit where Orton did that spot, you know, when he isolates body parts and just stamps on them. And I thought, God, that'd be so over in Saudi. Remember when they pop for like rubbing his knee against <laughs> someone's head? Well, anyway, uh, Orton... Isolating body parts, Christ. <laughs> uh, Orton gets the hot tag, clotheslines, power slam, draping DDT, all the usual stuff. He sets up for an RKO, but Rude gets involved, so him and Orton get into it. Uh, Orton then dodges an attack by Styles, chucks him outside. Almost, of course, catches him uh, later on. Almost gets in, uh, choke slams Dawkins, pushes Montez forward out of the ring. Uh, Riddle, desperate to get in as much as Orton tells him not to, comes in, goes after Almost, but Almost picks him up. Tree slams him down. Um, Orton is informed by the crowd that they want him to go in and you know, beat the crap out of this massive bastard. He tries to go in, but Ziggler and Rudy uh attack him. Uh, and... Yes, yeah, Stiles sees this opportunity. He wants to do the usual thing of like, Omos has done all the hard work. I'll take the pin. Thanks very much, mate. Uh, but before he can get tagged by Omos, Ziggler tags himself in. Big argument kicks off. Rude shoves Styles. Rude gets driven into the barricaded result of that by Omos. Uh, but Ziggler, in the midst of all this, just crawls in and pins one half of the tag team champions. And then Ziggler gets up, turns straight around into an RKO. Thoughts on this, Hampler?
1: oh House shows are good, right? Because You, As much wrestling as we as fans consume and the people listening to the show consume, when you go to a house show and you see it done in front of your eyes for real, and the sights, the sounds, the noises, all that sort of stuff, it honestly takes your breath away, time after time after time. Like all the big spots that you've become numb to on television feel big one last time because you're seeing them in person, and even little ones. The first power slam of the night, and it doesn't need to be delivered and teased out by CM Punk, The first time that back hits the canvas, it takes your breath away as much as it takes away the wrestlers. And yet, WWE simply can't replicate that feeling on television. I have no doubt that this 20 minutes was a pleasurable time for the live crowd because there was a lot of movement. There was constantly stuff going on. But, and I used to say this a lot about um, NXT in the war era, this mostly just felt like wrestling happening in front of me. Rather than a wrestling match taking place with a spirit of competition, um, there were elements, there were like a couple of storyline drivers, but we didn't get there until so late that 18 of these 20 minutes were just there for the live crowd that I happened to be like watching on my screen. I quite like that they have continued pretty successfully, judging on crowd reactions, to tease out almost as this as this threat as this figure to Randy Orton. Um, They've really got something there. They've really... The Omos-AJ Styles tag team has not been a complete success. But people really want Omos versus Randy Orton as a singles match. And they should do. Because you've got this giant figure who is presented as a threat versus Randy Orton who remains a big star. And it's the idea of, like, well, the giant can take out the goobers like Riddle or, you know, the various other people that he squashed, really, like, across the course of the year. But one-on-one... What can he do with Randy Orton, who's got all this big match experience? Randy Orton, that's for everybody of every shape and size. What can he do? They've got a singles match there. They've got the RKO all that sort of stuff. Genuinely quite like it. But was there 18 minutes, 19 minutes of boilerplate wrestling really worth it for this conclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, the selling didn't really feel convincing to me as well. Like Riddle was down for an age. Like I understand that he's got to be down for Ziggler to come in and steal a victory because the dirty dogs simply aren't positioned on the level Mm. of RK Bro or AJ and Omos. So I understand why he's got to be absolutely selling their dead to permit Dolph Ziggler, of all people, to be able to come in and steal a win. You know, this newcomer to RAW, Dolph Ziggler. (laughs) Um, So I get it, but it didn't feel super convincing um, for the other end of this Orton-Omos story, which is Orton, again, like getting a bit... He's gone all the way through with Riddle now. He started kind of not being able to deal with his nonsense. He's kind of warm to him. They've won the tag belts as a way to justify the relationship. But is Orton starting to tire of Riddle's bollocks at this point and not having his head in the game? I I don't mind it as a a narrative device because we're going to earn that split in RK Bro eventually. And as I say, the Omos stuff is heated. Crowds really like it. It was a lot of very, very standard middle-of-the-road wrestling to achieve those two goals. And that was being done because of the format of this show, not because the match or the story deserved it.
3: I mean, yes. Yeah, the worst thing about watching this match, as it went on and on and <laughs> on, without really building and drawing me into it, is that I know for a goddamn fine fact that the people producing this show didn't look at these eight men and thought, Jesus Christ, I'd love to see this go 20-odd minutes. Like, this is going to be an absolutely mega match. It deserves time. Like, time is the sacred concept in pro wrestling where if you give performers, like, even more than 15 minutes on TV, you're doing so by telling the audience, like, it's a lot of time. You're getting this because you ought to receive this as a classic match. Yeah. That's certainly the intention. Like, it might not always become a classic match but you get conditioned through how these things work and they're thinking Christ they're going along that must mean they want it to be really really good this is just there (laughs) for a lot of it and I just can't imagine Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard or Michael Hayes deciding 20 minutes for this absolutely 20 minutes for this we we want people to get blown away we want stars to be made so it's just I just can't take it seriously for the duration because I know too much about the process at this point we all do one more thing, because I should be a little bit generous at times. Um, if, in fact, this happens, and it's, it's the same old thing with WWE, you just don't know if it will, this is potentially a belated realisation that Omos and AJ Styles are baby faces playing heels, and maybe a programme with the Dirty Dogs could get them to be baby faces and that mm-hmm. could launch the full babyface team because the rest are like heels, they're received like baby faces. It's about time that you actually push someone in a favorable rule that fans have connected with, i.e., OMOS, and maybe a few of the dirty dogs can accelerate that.
2: Uh Kevin Owens is still seeking validation backstage. He goes and bothers Ray Mysterio. I if he believes him. Ray couldn't care less. Uh, says yeah whatever you want to hear and then heads out to the ring with his son because they are there to be spoken to by Postman Pierce who puts over the importance of Survivor Series all the big debuts we've seen over the years and uh yeah Raw's record last year swept the night of course and they uh, need to live it, live up to what they did last year and uh he's got a bit of regret after they announced the Survivor Series teams on social media uh, probably because everyone's from bloody Smackdown on that team Um He thinks, though, actually, he may have made a mistake putting Dominic on the team. Every other member is a former WWE champion. Even you, Ray, for 60 seconds. Um, But Dominic can keep his spot if he beats this man. And here's Bobby Lashley. He is back. And he ruined Dominic Mysterio. Guys was great. I mean, the, you know, the match was fine. But, oh, my God, I've been looking forward to this. He chucked him all over the place. He chucked him into the post on the outside. Yes, Dominic got a little bit of offence in, but he got ragdolled for the most part. And Bobby Lashley puts him in the hurt lock after about three minutes. And I go, cool. And there we go. Submission or referee corner because he passed out. But no, no, no. Lashley's not had enough yet. So he chucks Dominic out of the ring. He's battering him around ringside. Ray goes, excuse me, can you get off my piss off dad? Kicks him in the chest and gets him out of there. Posts him again. Spear, another hurt lock. And a little bitch tapped out, didn't he?
3: Out of the team you go. Get in. Uh, I quite enjoyed this, Ish. It was the high punk of the night for, me, for two reasons. One, I like watching Stars be stars. And Lashley, again, looks like a star in this sort of environment. One of my favourite things... Is that Vince McMahon is as bored of the show and his decisions that inform what the show is going to look like as I am. Like Vince McMahon hates this product seemingly as much as his harshest critics. They've done the social media announcement and they've. And Vince has woken up on the Sunday and thought, nah, I'm bored of this. <laughs> this is just as rubbish as it feels to everybody else. Um, I have to get Lashley involved somehow. Either. Why haven't they, they put Edge on the team? Because if this was the plan all along, it just makes Dominic Mysterio look like an absolute tit. And, you know, any bad theoretical scenario is viable. That's the best thing about it. They've either slaughtered the aura, what's left of it, of Dominic Mysterio with this bait-and-switch angle It just made him look like a complete nobody, a complete pitiful geek. All have realised... Uh, I need a bit more star power in this because I've regret my impulsive decision. Either one of them is a funny indictment of the process. Didn't they literally do this a few years back with Jason Jordan?
2: I mean, that was slightly, you know, all nepotism, Kurt Angle, et cetera, et cetera. But
3: over the past, since they've brought back the brand extension gimmick for Survivor Series 2016, I think it started... I don't think a single year has gone by where they've committed to something in the advertising of the show and didn't realise, oh, it's boring. Oh, that's been done. I'll swap a title around because that's either been done last year or the prospect of this year's is so boring. Sure. Do you
2: remember when they were thinking, are they are they actually going to do ginger versus Brock? Yeah, suit.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, incredible. Either Vince McMahon actively enjoys sabotaging his baby faces. Funny. Or two, he's just decided, oh, it's boring. And it's just like, how come Vince, the guy who's boot you lick, is allowed to do this, and I'm not? Mm.
2: Well, the thing I also thought, I felt I feel a bit bad now, going in on Dominic Mysterio there, Hamlet is, I mean, he's not going to be happy, is he? I mean, he, he, he had his dad up on his shoulders. Oh. He, was, he genuinely <laughs> was carry, he was carrying him on his back as they came out. And I thought, oh, it. yeah, he was. He was carrying his dad on. I was like, oh, here we go. I just feel like maybe he's going to snap, possibly, at some point, Hamfler, and, and attack those closest to him.
1: i got a, I got a hot take and a prediction for you, but I'll save that for a preview podcast down the road, brother, down the old dusty trail. I'll save that one for another day. Do um, you your bit if you all, like. I'll just go on my phone. I got a lot out of your glee there, Wilborn. A lot. This is not the first time we've seen um,
2: your joy at, like somebody's child getting battered of various ages. Like, means someone on the news. Being... Someone on the news suggested that Lashley is Snitsky 2.0 because he keeps beating people's kids up. I was like, Jesus Christ, that's a bit far. Yeah, then putting his hands back on. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. yeah, It's sort of like when we've sort of.
1: Discuss the prospect of a, a dadly trip with our respective children to the soft play, and then we're like, well, "Well, you can come along if you want. We'll just have the uh, the coffees, and you can actually get in the soft play." I'd like. Now I'm fearing that you'll do like a buckle bomb into the ball pit or something. <laughs> like that. Kids <laughs> up and launch them across. Is this fun? Because I'm having a blast. <laughs> like that. I do like. I the match was funny because Bobby Lashley's awesome. Like, I don't know. It almost feels like punching down to pick logicals in WWE, but let's do it for a second. Postman Pierce wants, like, has been feeling some regret over the weekend for potentially either, either potentially including Dominic Mysterio or leaving out Bobby Lashley. Regret for one of those things because he wants Raw to have as good a year as they had last year. Is that until he appears on SmackDown on Friday night when he says the same to SmackDown? And is this not? a Raw and SmackDown feud. But is it, in fact, Postman Pierce being the straw that stirs the drink? <laughs> and he's going to neg his SmackDown team. It's both shows. It's not authority figure versus authority figure. At least when, um well, there's two reasons why Jason Jordan was ousted from this five-zero-one One, because it was Triple H. Like, the guy had six WrestleMania programs to fulfill. Oh, but God,
2: the yeah. other was... I'll fight Braun Strowman or Kurt Angle or Shane McMahon.
1: <laughs> the other was because obviously he didn't like the idea that Shane, Stephanie's pesky brother, was going to walk it on a Survivor Series, so any steps any excuse to bury Kurt Anglers always like that, there was a there was a thread of very, very, very long term storytelling, like we were getting Triple H to the mid 2000s, back for one night only um, this makes no sense, and then it, what you could argue is, well, alright, maybe Adam Pearce and Sonya Developer had to draw lots, and Adam Pearce has got Raw for this year and Sonja Miller's got SmackDown. No, she was in the locker room with the Raw team later on for the women's match. let mm, Unless... Explain to, to me Adam Pearce's regret. taught me I that. Think,
2: I think there's two Adam Pearces. I think there's I'm Adam Pearce and I'm Alan Pearce and we are on
3: SmackDown. <laughs> I'm going to offer an incredibly generous kayfabe explanation. Oh. Oh, wow. Postman Adam Pearce, right, is in charge of both shows. Right. In WWE canon, historically, the authority figure is tasked with creating the best shows. Historically, <laughs> several have been fired for failing to do that and made scapegoats for some very alarming ratings dips. This has happened throughout modern yeah. 21st century WWE history. So, the idea, I think, for Adam Pearce, is that he wants the best possible version of Raw to compete head-to-head with the very best possible version of SmackDown so both of his houses are in order.
2: Uh, yeah.
3: I mean, the way this was, he literally out loud said he made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and this made him look like an idiot. But I genuinely think that the whole purpose of an authority figure, a general manager, a commissioner, whatever name by which they go, is I'll get fired if the show isn't good. So I have to make the best one possible. I'm in charge of two shows, so I want the strongest possible role team versus the strong, strongest possible SmackDown team. Otherwise, what's the point of any of this?
0: Mm.
2: The selection headache thing that you come back to when it comes to like picking the best football team. You want the best possible people because then they'll produce the best possible outcome. Yeah, I get that. Either that or there's Adam and Alan Pace And this Because, like, evil twin.
3: for him, the concern is, and with the best possible pay-per-view, the most competitive pay-per-view, the most dramatic pay-per-view with the highest match quality, right? Because if he loses, is uh Does he even have a title? <laughs> <laughs> Do they have titles? What's Like, I don't even think they have titles. Like Adam Pierce was just there. And he just materialized there in 2020, I think he's first started just rocking up. Director of live events.
2: Is that, is that <laughs> a real thing or a fake thing? Well, click well, hover no. over the
1: um, the thing, the reference. That's why Raw felt so much like a house show this week. I'm
3: pretty sure that's like, is that a real job? Anyway, just to flesh out this idea more than it realistically has to, if he loses as Raw... Insert job title. He can say, "Well, I believe with was down, didn't he?" Yeah, I just think he wants the closest race. That makes kayfabe sense. I don't want to. I don't want to defend it. <laughs> does.
1: Maybe, anyway. maybe anybody on screen calling Dominic Mysterio a mistake is that long last retcon in the Eddie Guerrero confusion over his parents. <laughs> and Dominic's going to look at Ray and be like, "I was a mistake, Dad. I was a mistake." When he finally. <laughs>
0: stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started
2: before we go any further though this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. now we all carry around different stresses they can be a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. Let's move on uh, and talk instead about what came next, uh, which was The Alpha Academy, Chad Gable and is being approached by Rollins uh, and they start talking about Kevin Owens. And Gable talks about his degree and his uh, GPA and says, yeah, Owens is a, he's a liar. He's as bad as a liar as Aaron Rodgers, which is a topical American reference about, I assume, Rogers talking about, I think it was vaccines or something on, on Joe Rogan. Oh, it like
3: walk mob bollocks. Uh, anyway, uh, Gable said he's going to... I love it, by the way. The trending tab—it's our favourite thing. Like, come on, what's going to connect with people? Like, one-off references to things that are in the news—they have to do a joke about it. Yeah, like. that Saturday Night Live,
2: wrestling. What else is in there? What else is in the news? Uh, what else? You uh, see this? You heard about this?
3: <laughs> well, we've got it. I want to check that trending tab ahead of the preview later, which I may, I may not be able to do actually. Oh yeah.
2: We'll see. We'll see for the NXT but L preview. Uh, he's going he's gonna to beat the crap out of Big E. Uh, he didn't. Uh, Big E beat him inside five minutes next. Uh, although...
3: Why did he get the match? Because Finn Balor's yeah. is on the European tour. Exactly. Why book that last week then?
2: Because they didn't think about it. Because they don't think about things until they're right in front of them. Hence why they went, oh, it's less than two weeks till Survivor Series. You better tweet something out. Some of the work in here was really nice. Oh, yeah. This, oh, this, this, if,
3: any, if any match should have been given more time on yes. the show, is this one? Yeah, he could have had a nice, a, a further breakthrough performance from Chad Gable because that's what they are trying to sell on commentary. Corey Graves outright said, Chad Gable's got all the talent and potential in the world. and just needs to shrink together a few impressive wins to really climb up the card. And he gets dusted in five minutes, which isn't that bad at TV match time. It isn't. No. But in comparison to just excessive we've got any ideas have 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it looks worse in contrast to what was promoted elsewhere on the night um yeah i mean there was some fun to be had through some of these sequences
2: but it accomplished nothing I could watch these for much longer. Uh, Gable blocks a belly-to-belly suplex, hits WWE champion with one of his own. Moonsault gets a near fall, uh, hits that great rolling German suplex of his, that gets a two-count as well. Uh, but then Big E, as uh, Gable's rushing towards him in the corner, hits him with the uranaki. Big ending, one, two, three, and then post-match, the thumb comes in to have a stare down with Big E. What did you make, Hamlet? Sorry,
3: Hamlet, one more thing. I really try to grasp against my ingrained tastes that some people actually like the show. And I'm gonna, sometimes I try to analyze it on that level. Like, what is, you don't like the format, you don't like the commentary, you don't like the presentation, you don't like the verbiage. There's something people like about this. It should be my job to determine what that is. Mm. How can any, I'm, that's the thing, you only ever see cry, laugh, emojis. If someone can articulate to me what's good about it, right? Right. I might be able to see it their way. This match shouldn't have happened. You shouldn't be getting in the vicinity of a world champion a victory over whom would land you a either a championship opportunity or what's the word they use? It's uh, not eliminator. Oh, so you know yeah, I mean? a contenders of, match contenders or something. Contenders or whatever. You shouldn't have had this match. Like, all I have to do is watch last week's show <laughs> to ascertain this. I just don't get it. I'm trying, I do try, Please watch, it's please,
2: impossible, it's objectively bad. Yeah, please watch weekly, but do forget what we did last week as yes, well, uh, until we remind you in uh, vast recap segments. It's just objectively bad. No, that
1: is precisely the instruction. Yeah, we need you every week, but we don't want you to remember a single thing of it. Like, you can remember what we tell you to remember, and you can apply context when you're permitted, but only then. Um, like, this was, was it, you said, said that they were fun. We put the fun, Grow the fun on Myrnell's. Like, but nothing more. I like I like watching world champions wrestle mid card matches. Genuinely, like that's something I enjoy. I think it's good from a perception point of view when the world champion comes out and like dominates a mid card match. It shows them to be the best, especially in WWE because half the time the angles are rubbish. So whilst Biggie's got to do some silliness often in the main event or like do a short opening promo where he welcomes everybody doing the game show host stuff. I quite like it when they just send them out there to have five, six minutes as the champion and just say, you know, just as a way to say, there's a reason why I'm here. That's, that's like across all wrestling shows. It's, it's good. It just wasn't well booked because Chad Gable should have won last week.
2: Exactly. Uh, Owen still wants validation from others backstage. He's really desperate. He's asked our truth for his thoughts. Uh, and R-Truth says, hey. what's this. Hey, man, I, be- I believe you. But then he also believes in Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and Mermaids and all those
3: other bollocks. I understand what they're doing. They are trying to tell a show-long story, right? But you can tell one that doesn't make Kevin Owens look like a Like, Come on. Why would he take the opinion of R-Truth seriously? And how...
2: Absolutely begging it as well. Just, please, please, someone believe me. Even you, our truth
3: Do you think Big E is going to listen to R-Truth's testimony? <laughs> and say, all right, okay, now that R-Truth said it... Then I'm probably I I all right. All right roughly, it? It's our truth. Think about what this means for the characters involved in people's perception of them. Why am you doing homework? Oh, I've got a note to excuse it, Miss.
2: Oh, right. Is it from? Uh, is it from your mom? No. Is it from your dad? No. Is it from your extended family? No. It's from my thick mate Dave, who said, "Yeah, he definitely did it, but the dog ate it." What? <laughs> did uh, on your guys' version of the show wherever you watched it because they were filming in that
1: backstage area, weren't they? Did you, hear, did you hear that echoey voice in the background halfway through this? I heard, like, it was really strange. I'm not sure if it was supposed to be caught up by the, the boom mic or whatever it was, but just in the background, I heard this, like, southern accent going, I think Kevin Owens' feet are flat! <laughs> Our truth was talking about the world only being around in certain places, but I wasn't sure if I was supposed to pick that up or not.
3: You want to talk about how your feet are flat? Uh, I'm just saying something about am not a <laughs> flat earther. That is honestly, that's the maddest one for me. Like
2: giant walls of ice. Okay, but well, well, that's awfully flat because your feet are flat. What are you talking about? What well, we want curved because that's how it's honestly mental. So we're not going to even talk about it anymore.
3: How small would it have to be?
2: How small <laughs> like would it like have to st- be? Standing on a football, basically. Like that's the
3: thing like. If you- <laughs>
1: Hey, hey, Vince, if I hit a phenomenal forearm in Saudi Arabia, well, I'll fall off the edge of the world.
3: <laughs> I'm, Vince,
2: Vince, I'm scared. Look, what was the Saudi General Authority doing before? <laughs> we were touring the UK, and I went to those um, white cliffs of
1: Dover, and I saw the sea, and oh my God, the steep edge of the horizon. It was, in a, I was going on a boat, and I just saw this boat disappear over the edge. <laughs>
3: I swear to God, my, my God. That shit wearer, smell How small would the Earth have to be? If, if, the, if in AJ's head, the world's flat because your feet are flat. <laughs> in his head, he's thinking, well, your feet would have to be a little bit like in an R yeah. <laughs> to traverse the uh, spherical Earth. You'd be in, like, Indonesia in one minute. <laughs> Wendy, I don't want you speaking to those
1: equator community people. I don't don't like it one bit. Uh,
2: Right. Backstage, we've got uh, the women who will make up the Raw Women's Survivor Series team. Those being uh, Bianca Belair, Liv Morgan, Rhea Ripley, Queen Zelina and Carmella. Uh, But she wants to see some healthy competitions. They're all going to fight tonight. Uh, and the winner will get a shot at Be- Becky Lynch's title. Uh, but did, did, did you have... Is not happy. Uh, she was annoyed that she wasn't considered for the match over someone like Bianca Belair, who's already lost to Becky Lynch. And Dana Brooke says, I've been on Monday night for ages, and I've been overlooked. And uh, I want some <laughs> respect. Um, she didn't get any. Uh, and... Uh, she <laughs> didn't get any. <laughs> Nikki yes. ASH said, I, I was winning champion for about a week. Boom, that kapow. Jesus uh, Christ, I totally forgot. Yeah. And uh, Zelina f- said, You uh, had quite the bloody fall from Grace because now apparently she speaks an Australian accent when she's being the queen. Uh, honestly, that accent is summer. Uh, and uh, then Rhea Ripley says, Hey, you bloody talking about my mate, you two, you bloody Zelina and Carmella, who I forgot to mention, also slagged her off. Uh, says, Don't talk about my partner like that ever again. And then all the
3: women can't stop arguing. End of scene. I mean, my God, this was absolutely rotten. (laughs) This was so awful. And like, the thing is, Dana Brooke doesn't have like the stand-on. I don't want to go full Corey Graves, but in the fiction of Mm. WWE, I'm not talking about performance, whether or not you should have uh, improved by orders of magnitude or whatever. I'm talking about the results the match outcomes. She's a loser. <laughs> so, what is she talking about? She just comes off as delusional. She just wants an opportunity. I'm like, nah, rah, rah, rah. In 2039, you're going to see some legend segment. And it's going to be like Nikki A.S.H., Apollo Cruz, Riddle, and Dana Brooke. And they're all going to do their three second thing. And she's still going to be talking about how she deserves an opportunity. And it's like, Danny, you're 70 years old. You're 70 years old. And
1: it's over for you. Do what you're supposed to do on these shows and sit and have some punch in the background with characters.
2: Tozawa. Come on.
3: That is serving up you, rubbish. In the, <laughs> f- in the fiction. Yeah, they all just bloody
2: argued, basically. Uh, WrestleMania tickets go on sale on Friday. There was a little video package to get us excited about that. And then... Kevin Patrick is backstage um with Ray and Dominic Mysterio. Dominic getting treated in the medical please, room. Please,
1: that's what you just stop, please? It's insulting. <laughs>
2: uh and Ray went, yeah, he'll be all right. Um, but he's not happy with uh postman Pierce. We should be questioning his integrity, not Owens's. Uh and uh, if he wanted Lashley in the match, he should have just made that call in the first place. And then Austin Theory just snuck him in, in the background and took a photo, over, took a selfie. Whilst he's cradling his injured boy.
3: You love Austin Theory. It's
2: great, this. What do you think of it, Hamlet, the the, the the Ray and Dominic stuff leading to what we know it's leading to?
1: I mean, Ray's right, isn't he? I, Pierce could have just said, I'm not really feeling this, I'm going to swap, but he allowed this sun to be like a lamp of the slaughter. <laughs> uh, like, but unfortunately, because it's WWE and everyone's value system is broken, that scans is quite funny. <laughs> like that, this, this otherwise dick move, it's like, that's ah, a good pattern from Boston Pierce. Like, good. I've, I've swapped the graphic. We've no rules here. We've done this a million times before. Five minutes of getting brutalized instead. Like, I wish it was anyone, but us in theory, because I, I quite like the selfie too.
2: I just don't particularly want to engage with him that much. It was pretty funny. I, th- I think it's a hilarious gimmick. Uh, we'll see more <laughs> of him later on. Uh, now, possibly, I think, Michael Sidgwick's favourite moment on Monday Night Raw, whenever it comes around. How do which I is, never have one? No, because you love the bit where they say, right, for this time period, the 24-7 rules don't apply. We can have a match for the 24-7 championship. When they end, the rules kick back in for another 24-7 championship match. <laughs> the 23-55... <laughs> six... Eleven fifty-five. What a hate life! Man. So it's Reggie versus Drake Maverick. Uh, during the match, outcomes are truth. He gets attacked by Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. This distraction allows Maverick. To... Oh, he's put his head on the desk. <laughs> uh, this distraction allows Drake Maverick to schoolboy Reggie. He wins the title. He goes. Would you s- risk it all for the reflection of my chips? Looks <laughs> like a, a snowman. It's <laughs> good. It's got some arms on it.
3: the little smiley
2: face oh look at him go have that John Lewis that's not getting tweeted it's too late now it's been whittled away by the exposure to the air Uh, what happened? oh yeah Uh, Drake Mavericks just won the 24-7 title he goes on the outside uh, to celebrate Akira Tozawa rolls him up Akira Tozawa starts celebrating Corey Graves gets involved (laughs) 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 he rolls up Akira Tozawa Corey Graves is celebrating. Byron Saxton gets involved.
3: It's almost as if everyone gets rolled up all the time. He should be such an idiot.
2: He rolls I'm up, celebrating. He <laughs> rolls up Corey Graves. Doesn't learn his mistake from what he's just witnessed. He gets rolled up by Drake Maverick, who tries to run away. Runs straight into Reggie into the ring, who pins him and runs off and gives me a final bullet point for our podcast,
3: boys. Six title changes on Monday Night Raw. Like that'll get us a few extra honey listeners. Oh, I mean, like, it, not that we
2: need it. No more podcasts in the UK on wrestling, but you
3: know, yeah, it's always nice. Right, forget the rubbish. Forget the rubbish. That, sorry, I can't. I'm
2: reviewing Monday Night Raw.
3: Forget the rubbish that we've been just wondering why it's still happening after two long years. This none of these takes matter. Nothing's. Everyone knows these takes. Nothing's going to change from me saying these takes. But like your broadcast team is meant to have like a shred of credibility and authority, like. Think of Jim Ross, miserable master that he is, half the time. Like, don't take him seriously. Tony Schiavone, legend. When he gets something, when he puts something over, I believe him. That I, sh- I should be wowed by this because this great man loves it as well. Exc- Excalibur, extremely, extremely knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knows all the moves, shouts them in a, in a beautiful way. You got these idiots doing this. It's like this whole show sucks, and the everyone's an idiot. And I, don't know how much longer I
2: can keep doing this. <laughs> Honestly, I said to, said this when I came into this morning. Hamlet. I said this was one of those days when I had to have a word with myself and say just just five more rules to watch before the end of the year. We don't have to watch them. It's not going to get any better. No, but as in. We got a break. Yeah, the end's in sight, and then you know we can just. I mean, I'm not going to watch it over the Christmas break. Unsurprisingly, I don't think either of you will either. But ah. Hamlet, what did you make of the six title changes?
1: Pointless rubbish as always. Um R.I.P. Reggie, the longest reign in twenty-four-seven champion in the belts history. 112-day mm. reign comes to an end, and then starts back over again. What pointless segment? Pointless. Segment. pointless
2: Everyone's bunch. an asshole. Everyone's an idiot. Oh, speaking of assholes, uh, Taker was shown uh, hanging, out, <laughs> hanging out with the Dallas Cowboys and George W. Bush.
3: It ain't make- about politics, it's just about the flag. <laughs> <laughs> famous, why, isn't it? You can't call the undertaker an asshole because he's always cooking asshole. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was all about the flag, it's not about politics. He's not shaking hands with a bomber, is he? Wonder why not? It's about <laughs> the flag, you asshole. <laughs>
1: I, uh, I thought he uh, loved Democrats
3: because blue lives matter It's so <laughs> I've seen him in the t shirt in Power Slam magazine in the mid 90s. I know what he's all about, the piece of trash. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, I'm, I much prefer when he was hanging out with Mr. Worldwide over in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> that was preposterous. Green,
3: Green Lady. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everybody rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> I Captured this with a Kodak.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Mark oh, Galloway sings all your favorite Pitbull songs.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, well, that's the uh, a Christmas party sorted at karaoke. I'll be doing all Pitbull songs as The Undertaker. I only know one. Going down, I'm yelling, timber! All <laughs> 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 oh, right. Anyway, fail five way match next to determine the number one contender for Becky Lynch's Raw Women's Championship. It is Lynn Morgan, Carmella, Queen Zelina, Bianca Belair, and Rhea Ripley. Becky Lynch is on commentary, saying, "Look how great everyone is in the ring." And Liv Morgan's there as well. So you could all see where this was going. Uh, once again, Carmella and Zelina Vega, Queen Zelina, apologies, uh, try to work together, but they just can't coexist. Um, and everyone hits big moves, which was quite enjoyable, to be honest. Uh, Morgan hit a code breaker on Bianca Belair. Carmella takes out Morgan with a face buster. Ripley has to break up the cover. Then Zelina DDTs Ripley, but... Belair press slams her onto the other three women outside the ring. That was just great. Uh, there's a bit where it looks like they're setting up for a Tower of Doom spot. And then Bianca Belair, as she often does, just boggles the mind. Picks up both uh, Queen Zelina and Liv Morgan, double power bombs them, and then gets missile drop kicked by Ripley. And then Carmella super kicks Ripley. She gets a near fall from that. Uh, Ripley then hit Belair with a riptide, but Liv Morgan dives in to break up the cover. Uh, Morgan. Dodgers out of a riptide again from Ripley. Uh, she hits the Oblivion, uh, but Selena breaks up the cover. Then Belair comes in and kicks Morgan out of the ring, and she's got Selena on her shoulders while she's doing it. She's so great, Bianca Belair. She hits the KOD, but then a new who wasn't in the match gets involved, pulls her out, Dexter on the outside, so she's turned heel now. That was good while it lasted. Carmella tries to steal the pin, but in the midst of all this, Morgan puts her in a crucifix pin. One, two, three. She is the new number one contender, and she faces off with Becky Lynch. A convoluted way of getting there, but I was kind of happy with this result, Hamlet.
1: Yeah, I think you could watch this match one or two ways. You could watch it kind of with the of identical, <laughs> criticisms. <laughs> identical criticisms as the tag, really. Um, 20 minutes is too long for the fact that you're kind of building up two angles and you're only really getting to them by the very end, which is that Liv Morgan was going to fight the title, which we had already had teased last week, and that Dewdrop was turning heel on Bianca Belair. You could say, well, there was all that action, a lot of television time for only really these two things to matter by the end of it. But I think some of this was carried at least by the work of Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair in particular. You could tell that there was thought, put into their big moments. There was no psychology to speak of in this match at all. It was whatever it was, 18, 20 minutes of spot, 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 because it would have been pointless to try and thread anything serious through it. But Ripley and Belair are for real. They're like, they're really, really, really strong wrestlers. Rarely do they not show this, but they're typically in terrible storylines or angles that do what it would do, what they can to suppress that. Um, I loved particularly, I think you mentioned it there, the, the Tower of Doom counter. It's a drab convoluted spot and has been for ages mm. if people criticize the canadian destroyer for its overuse i would say the tower of doom is more overuse, and that's only even busted out say once every six or seven weeks it's because you know it's happening from the very start the mm. level of construction it takes takes you out of the moment so for them to find a cool new way to do something with it in the form of bel one woman counter was pretty awesome and i like it sometimes feels wasteful that stuff like that is inserted into matches like this but i guess you need more bodies to do it so um More time than it needed for the angles and the thing, the stories it was trying to tell. But I, it was individual moments of brilliance, which is sometimes all you can hope for from WWE matches.
3: I (sighs) let's um, do a team bonding exercise with some friendly competition. What if, what if, what if there was like a really gnarly spot and like tensions flared? as they do when you're having a fight with someone. Mm-hmm. And one of the two of the team members just could no longer coexist. Uh, the stupid match to book in the context of building towards Survivor Series, it's the one thing we didn't <laughs> want to happen.
2: It's like, it's like football teams, to use another analogy, like you often come back to. Like they have, when England comes together, they have training matches together, right? But they don't say England Eleven versus England Eleven live on ITV tonight because you yeah,
3: them punched each other in the face. Yeah, either. because
2: they don't. Because if someone went down not on a training pitch in front of other people and they get embarrassed or they get injured, then your, your chances of a World Cup, lads. So you do that behind closed doors instead of go and kick the crap out of each other, to see who's best, just before you go and work together to try and team on another team. I mean, it's ridiculous.
3: So much of this is ridiculous. If this happened in like July or December or where anything outside of Survivor Series, if I'm a fatal five-way match, the um, benefit of which is it's kind of all action. Some it's sloppy as hell, like Liv Morgan and Carmella did something. I've got idea what it was. The various like congregations to the outside to facilitate Belair throwing Zelina Vega mm-hmm. onto them, like incredibly transparent work. But you know, it's not dull if it's inelegantly assembled at least there's always something happening and the benefit of having more than two people is that you can tell storylines at one of which serves to build the top of the card and somewhere in the mid card so you came away thinking it kind of met Paul Heyman's age old philosophy in that respect one person went over one person got over Liv Morgan went over maybe a little bit opportunistically but whatever people like her; it won't matter that much and um, Bianca Belair got over with some of her absolutely incredible double team power base spots, and she has a direction following it. So it was productive. Mm. It's productive. I'll give them that. Um, Rollins goes to
2: Biggie in the back. Uh, Biggie doesn't trust him, doesn't trust Owens. Uh, he was going to be there to make sure their match goes smoothly. Uh, and he comes out and he sat there with the other announcers and then Austin Theory pops up, takes selfies with everyone. Big E doesn't want any of this, smacks the phone out of his hand. And before the match, Rollins cuts a promo and says, oh, I've got something to confess. I want to get something off my chest.
3: The second promo in two yeah. one show.
2: Yeah, I thought that was more than enough Seth Rollins on this show on the mic. Uh, he said, you know what, what actually happened last week was a plan that me and Owens have had for a while. We hatched it together. Uh, he's a bastard, and uh, I just wanted to come out and admit that. And obviously Owens marches out and brawls with him. Rollins dives into the crowd, and uh, we go to a break, in the midst of which they say, hey, remember the Montreal job? What about Survivor Series, huh? And uh, then we got a 25-minute match that ended in a countout by Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. Scared." Yep, completely agree. Enough of all that. It's now time for this. It's short. It's crap. It's wrestling related. The five star review. Review. Nailed it. Yeah.
3: Skip means skip.
2: Yeah, I'm getting it now. Slowly. I've
3: only said it like a hundred times.
2: Yeah. Um, anyway. This week's five-star review review, if you want to suggest one, by the way, uh, make sure you subscribe to What Cult Wrestling on iTunes and leave us a five-star review suggesting something short, crap, and wrestling related that we could review instead of a 25-minute match that goes to count out in the main event of Monday Night Raw. Uh, This week's five-star review review is brought to you by Mimi Boris. Uh, and a whole host of other names. Thank you so many uh, so much for everyone who's uh, left uh, reviews on iTunes about this uh, and emailed me. I will try and read some of them out as we go forward during the weeks, maybe as uh, little reviews to put on wrestle culture or something because I know not only has Mimi suggested this, but uh, Eddie Lopez, Jason, uh, and there was a great one I saw. Let me see if I can quickly find it Sid, to show you here uh, on our iTunes. Yep, yeah. uh, Keika writes uh, five-star review aces and eights revel so thanks for that <laughs> anyway mimi sends us a lovely email here. it says hi guys i've already left a five-star review review i'm not sure i'm allowed to do another but i'm doing it i hope this isn't too long-winded uh i want to thank all of you for the amazing content every day i just might finish my third and final eye surgery and considering i couldn't see anything the podcast were the one thing that kept a smile on my face throughout i oh, love look- like
3: that i had been miserable
2: yeah you can still see how great the podcasts are, regardless. Uh, she loves listening to uh, Hamlet's Encyclopedia of Wrestling Knowledge. Uh, finds She said, I find myself hanging into every word of analysis from Sidgwick. We are drowning in bills currently, so the one and only thing I asked for Christmas from my fiancé this year was Sidge's new book, Becoming All Elite, which you can pre-order now at whatculture.bigcartel.com. Thank you. It's great, that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and Wilborn, the podfather, and our sentimental favourite. We are currently looking for someone to perform our wedding this summer. So if you're in the United States, please stop by just so the fiancé and I can hear. Is this the best wedding ever? Imagine if we just flew you over. <laughs> Surprise, everybody. Hope you got <laughs> a pretty far. <laughs> <more. laughs> yeah,
1: um, you all your voices for when you like doing it like the... Do,
2: like, do, do, do
1: you do this man?
2: Thank yeah, you, man. <laughs> do you do it one? you, <laughs> Uh, Mimi says your guys uh, advocation for all communities but specifically to us for women's wrestling and the LGBTQ plus community means so much uh, we thank you for using your platform We're not being scared to speak up for a five star review review can you apply guys please do the aces and eights reveal thing you talked about last week it was the only time I tuned into any TNA but as soon as I saw Hogan on my TV I changed the channel even the 12 year old version of me had more social awareness than WWE in 2021 thanks for everything Mimi what a lovely email email that is
3: that's absolutely glorious. That's absolutely glorious. Thank you very much for that. It's made my day.
2: Uh, so we... I think Mimi was it, Grand Slam. Quite possibly. We read uh, read your read questions out on the uh, on the news as well. So you might be right there, actually. Jealous. Let us know on Twitter, Mimi. If we've got that right or wrong. Uh, Hamlet, what a lovely email. Um, tell us your thoughts on it. And set the scene for TNA lockdown 2013.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mimi, for that email, and thanks for requesting this because I'd love it. It was brilliant. It's the reveal of who was the mastermind and the president of the Aces and Eights. We touched upon this. This is very much one uh, part two of a two-parter of us covering the Aces and Eights after last week's big wedding between Bully Ray and Brooke that couldn't go ahead because Taz infiltrated it as a secret member of the Aces and Eights. The storyline had continued on, and again, it gets mocked in hindsight, and a lot of it was silly, but. Lockdown was an objective success. It drew TNA's biggest ever American crowd. I think it was something like seven thousand people. You could see there was actual people in the building mm. for this. Watch it back. Um, TNA rarely looked full because obviously so much of it took place in the impact zone. Um, there was anticipation from those that maybe weren't following TNA. I think I was so it certainly felt like that was anticipation. But even it being TNA, even when they're doing something good, it's sort of bad. This match. Obviously, all of this happens at the end of Bully Ray versus TNA champion Jeff Hardy in the main event of lockdown 2013. This match came about because Hulk Hogan announced there was going to be an eight-person tournament and the winner of the tournament would get the title shot against Jeff Hardy. So, of course, in that tournament, there was Kurt Angle, there was Samoa Joe, there was Bobby Roode, there was Austin Aries, there was Magnus, there was Christopher Daniels, there was James Storm, and, of course, obviously, there was, yeah, Rob Van Dam. So all eight of those men competed to be number one contender and Bully Ray got the slot because Hogan didn't really like anybody in that tournament, and Brooke convinced him to give it to Bully Ray. Like, Bully Ray didn't want to take it that way because he's an honourable guy. Dead. But he'll <laughs> take the spot if you insist, et cetera. That's how Bully Ray gets into the cage match, because at this point, he's part of the Hogan family. And Hogan likes Jeff Hardy and he respects him, but Bully has done so much in helping the Hogan family stave off aces and Eights that Hogan's given him this title shot. In a cage what could possibly go wrong very much as a gift
2: from the family go ahead and win the title son is this like i, I watched uh, okay
3: <laughs>
2: i watched the brilliant sort of recap of this whole what, 18-month storyline uh by the end of the aces and eights uh, on wrestling with the regrets youtube channel last night this was like nine months into it wasn't it
1: yeah this was very very deep into it they'd had um the better part of a year of aces and eights trying to infiltrate and take over um, TNA. There wasn't much in the way, and obviously we'll, we'll get to it, there was the one thing that they were intentionally not clear about ever was the overarching motivation of why they just wanted to cause so much damage. This didn't feel like your typical, we want to take over the company for power or anything like that. There was no, because they'd had various spokespeople and the likes of D'Lo Brown and Devon Dudley taking off a mask wasn't exactly, well, they're not going to win the world title. They just weren't Mike those. Mike Knox. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, it's, it's, it's nooks. Like like Samoa Joe was hardly running in fear. Jeff Hardy was not that concerned about the state of things. And obviously, you know, they've been able to have an eight man tournament without worrying about aces and eights and put a ninth person in the title match. So this was at at this point, they were kind of, the worry was that they were starting to be a bit normalized and you could put them in eight man tags and it, it was all feeling very pro wrestling, so it was. There was a sense that you kind of had to bring this to some sort of climax now,
2: lest the whole thing end up dead in the water. So yes, the steel cage match for the world titles going on TNA Lockdown 2013. Uh, as the commentators shout, "This is ridiculous!" Having to do this in the middle of a world title match. Uh, we see the aces and eights clambering over the steel cage, coming through the crowd uh, as Jeff Hardy and Buddy Ray get chains to protect themselves. And Devon, uh, the sort of vice president, I think he was, of aces and eights, uh, stands on the top rope, eventually pulls out a ball pin hammer, uh, which was their sort of weapon of choice. And as Jeff Hardy's facing off with uh, Mr. Anderson and you know, Doc Gallows and all that, it's Devon, it's Bully, and Devon just tosses Bully the hammer.
3: But it took, took about what, five minutes to get out of his pants. <laughs>
2: Uh, And Bully grabs it, turns it around and points it at the Hogan's before twatting Jeff in the back of the head with it. Taz, with a great line, says, I just got goosebumps. Yeah! Yes, says uh, Earl Hebner, is forced to count the pin. But we've got to talk about Hulk Hogan's acting here. Hmm. No. (laughs) No. So did you have a go? No. I've a look
3: no <laughs> no it's he, he's had the same He can't actually he can't sanction this reality so realistically it's like whenever he looks outside the window he's such an absolute liar he just looks at things and goes no i'll just reorder this to my own narrative yeah it's my big 24-inch gag <laughs> so d'lo brown
2: uh hands body rate the title uh he's he's the new world champion taz Shouts on commentary about witnessing history as Mike Taney says, This is sickening. And Taz says, Welcome home, my brother. And uh, Brooke Hogan is distraught. She can't contain herself on the outside. And Bully just looks at her and goes, You are nothing to me. And Hulk tries to get involved and he says, Get out of my face, you old bastard. And Hogan's there. And Hogan still wants to save a bit of face. He's like, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. And Bully's like, what are you going to do? And he gets his crutch and taps the cage with it. Ooh, that'll show him. Terry, you prick. You,
1: uh, really felt, you really felt for Bully Ray in this moment, didn't you? Because he's trying. He's trying to, like, draw any emotion. He's like, I'm face-to-face with the biggest star to ever do this. Why doesn't he give a toss about me? <laughs> why, doesn't, why doesn't Come on, you old bastard!
2: No. <laughs> We're a dead man. Well, I don't feel like one hook. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Bully gets on the mic and says, that's right. And uh, they're all mocking uh, the rest of them, Doc and Devon and uh, Anderson all that. And he says, hey, Devon, let that stupid bitch cry. And a uh, huge reaction from the crowd. Of hey, hey to that. <laughs> there was a bitch. <laughs> there was a great shot I paused to show you. He says it. Stupid bitch uh, and it cuts to a, Hulk Hogan, of course, not Brooke Hogan. Hey, Galloway, your dad's here. Um, and it cuts, and there's a shot that me and Sid looked at, froze it. And there's a bloke and his wife stood stood behind Hogan. And he's just said that line, that vicious cutting line to his wife in storyline. And they're like, ha ha, yes, she is. That's right, bully. Uh, and then he does the infamous, hey, Hulk, I used you, Brooke.
3: I screwed you at the double entendre, bitch, (laughs) because I (laughs) you and I screwed you out of that goddamn thing. Um, on. Get the bed for
2: full penetrative <laughs> <laughs> So, Brooke and Hulk are sort of trying to out-act each other at this point. They're trying to get in each other's way, you son of a bitch, sort of thing. And like you say, uh, quite I'm a lot of people. You're a son of people... a gun. <laughs> but you said quite a lot of people there, Hamlet. Uh, you can really tell when they start hoying bottles of Bud Light in there oh. and cans and stuff. It really got no, a reaction. No
1: wonder. No wonder Bully wants, like, Kenny Omega to return against Ackerman Page. He loves the heat. He had it once in his career, and he's never stopped thinking about it. The way that, tra- he was like, he'd probably gone backstage to Bishop was like, I like the NWO, Eric, I like the NWO. And Eric's like, yes, Bully, it's like the NWO, Jesus.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's done, Hulk, I used you, Brooke, I screwed you. But most of all, I fooled every single one of you. As he says this, someone with a brilliant arm, hits the microphone with either a can or a bottle, which is, you know, you should not encourage that. But, yeah. Buddy Ray. Game-recognized game. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We don't encourage him, but that guy, that guy. Screw
3: that guy. I mean, Buddy Ray is so obnoxious that in the moment, I can imagine I would probably boom as well. (laughs) Yeah. But I would never want to actually pay to say he can get his ass kicked. He's just like Uh, a not-pleasant bloke. It's like Ronnie Pickering. I'm not going to watch Ronnie Pickering. Ronnie Pickering? I don't know what's like Ronnie Pickering. No, I am. No, I am. Ronnie, buddy, Oh, Other gosh, like, right. Like, <laughs> right, Jeff Hardy. Let's have a bare knuckle fight. You'll see you'll see like an MP4 clip on Twitter and you say, Ah, oh, guys, right, prick. Well, I'm gonna pay out twenty dollars or fifty dollars to see him get his ass kicked. I was like, no, he's prick, yeah. and then I'll just go on with my day.
2: He's <laughs> not like, Floyd Mayweather, cool. basically.
3: I mean,
1: how this lockdown made of it came about? Well, Jeff Hardy was riding his bike, one of them cameras on, and uh, Bully Ray opened his car door against him when he was going to work.
2: <laughs> Bully Ray leaned across from Brooke Hogan in the passenger side, offering him out for a fight <laughs> on the grassy verge next to him.
1: <laughs> Could you not see the riding on the wall? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, so he concludes by saying, "I, Bully Ray, am the president of the Aces and Eights, and I am the TNA World Heavyweight Champion." As he celebrates and hugs Devon and tells him how much he loves him, uh, the, the thing fades out. Am I right in thinking, Pamphlet, that the person who took the title off him for the good of TNA was Chris Sabin? That's right. Yeah.
1: Um. He. I, I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure he invoked his sacrifice the X Division to win the world title thing. Option and C. then option C, yeah. And, and then it was, and then they were like, well, that was a pretty cool shock. I, oh, but like this Aces and Aitre storyline has been going on the better part of two years. And we kind of need the big baby face to, to throw in Bully Ray. So they had Bully Ray beat Chris and just win it back. It's <laughs> so like, they just oh, that didn't really work, did it? So Bully Ray won it back to then lose it again for the big payoff, the proper payoff. To Anderson, was that? I think so. It was either Anderson or it might have been Hardy again. Um Ace and Ace was sort of already cooked because on this undercard, they'd lost to like Team TNA in like the lethal lockdown match. Ah. So Bully, Bully Ray winning and becoming president was sort of all they had left. It didn't like, it was, I, I like this. I thought this was like a pretty cool payoff at the time, but it was the peak really. And ever since Bully Ray was, I don't know if you remember this or completely checked out TNA. Do you remember there was like a slight bit of buzz around Bully Ray putting Dixie Carter through a table? Yeah, like, would, so I... Yeah, that was twelve months after this. He was like the top babyface trying to get Dixie Carter and put her through a table. That was a year later. So this was pretty much as far as they could take any of this, really. And then people started to, it did, it dropped off. Hogan was getting his leg dragged by Dixie like four or five months after this. He he, he was just checked out as he looked. Here.
2: Yeah. Right. Let's go to the uh, comment section then see what people got to say about this. Once again, these do not reflect the views myself, Daddy Boys, or anyone at What Culture Wrestling. Oh dear. Uh. John Lav, stop start simple. Uh he says this was the single greatest moment in impact wrestling history. Bully Ray taught a new de- generation about what it means to be a bad guy in professional wrestling. It's time he taught another generation now. The band is getting back together. Oh were they? That was a year ago, that pamphlet. He's a band. What band's he on about? I presume he means ace isn't that I think there was a brief tease on social media and someone else said yeah wasn't the greatest moment in TNA history uh, Dixie not getting put through a table so <laughs> uh, <laughs> Abid Raj very valid point in this writes this story was going really well until it got worse
3: <laughs> yeah I mean can't argue with that
2: I like this one as well because it's one of those things that you can sense someone in the upper management of TNA will read halfway through and go hey it's working, guys, and then the second half sort of undercuts it slightly. Kane Butler writes, I actually liked Aces and Ace. It was a good storyline. I was six when this happened and <laughs> I loved it. Uh, Sid uh, the Michael RN, writes, the last great long-term storytelling in any promotion. Ah,
3: I, I love uh, It's just like in any promotion. I obviously mean AEW. <laughs> I obviously mean that, but I'm not saying that out loud because you know i don't want to expose myself to total troll uh fight romeo fight i like this story
2: more than anything right lmao i was there that night and my grandma almost got into a fight with someone over who's better jeff hardy or an apologies for this uh, misspelling bulky ray (laughs) (laughs) right we got i think two final comments let me just quickly glance at this okay the two final comments. Once again, they do not reflect uh, the views of myself and Daddy Boys. I do not what culture wrestling. Would you like the creepy one first or the popper? Shall I say the popper for the end? Yeah. Okay. Chris UBS two months ago writes, "I think Brooke has a beautiful face, gorgeous body, and her feet are even nice. She is the total package for me."
3: Feet stir That's not wrong, that. Good king shame. I mean, shame getting objectified, not the feet.
2: Yeah. Speaking of which, final comment here comes from uh, Darlene Pedersen, uh, who writes <laughs> Wow, Brooke is as beautiful as her mother. With Hulk's chin, of course. What a gorgeous mix. God has truly blessed
3: this family. Of course. It's that thing, isn't it? Of course. Truly blessed. love how they have to be accurate. It doesn't matter how (laughs) expensive it is. Accuracy (laughs) is the ultimate objective here. <laughs> of course, it's you know, what a mix. <laughs>
2: So thank you to Mimi uh, and everyone else who suggested that. If you want to suggest something short, crap, and wrestling related uh for us to review instead of the main event of Monday Night Raw, you can do so by subscribing to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes uh, and leaving us a five star review. Or you can just email it to me. Please do try and do it on iTunes though, because it helps us move up the charts. I mean, not that you can move up more than one, but you know, uh <laughs> at WhatCulture.com. We do need to talk about the post match of the main event though. Uh as I mentioned, it ended in count out after. 25 minutes because uh Kevin Owens had to run around Big E. while Seth Rollins just got back into the ring. It was bollocks finish. Uh, but post-match Owens snaps, he attacks Big E, hoys him into the steel steps, power bombs him on the apron, kicks the crap out of him as the show goes Sweet. off the air and freaks out. We've uh,
3: already got
2: long. But what did you make of the uh, the post-match, the the closing of this show, Hamlet? All
1: right, um, it's I really do think Owens isn't very long for this world. So turning him heel. WWE's world. Yeah, obviously. Of course. Yeah. I'm not wishing death on him. i right? just a <laughs> better life in fact than AEW. Yeah. This Kevin Owens character um, has got the three months that he talked about. I, I really want to believe that. And I think the best way to utilize him is as a heel and as somebody that will put Big E over on his way out. Like I, I, I cannot complain with that. They found the right guy in the right slot for the right feud. I don't. Maybe my brain has been smoothed once and for all by watching this goddamn show every week. Yes, I know he snapped in the moment, but is he this arsehole that spent all night fighting his impulses? Like, was that the conversations he was having with Ray and R-Truth and everybody, and even Biggie? I guess? Was he fighting his impulses mm. all along? Or was this calculated based on last week's interaction where he was willing to take the help of a heel? Like what will probably happen is I've asked this question now. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have put this out into the universe because Kevin Owens will spend 20 minutes telling me that I don't deserve an explanation and then giving me one anyway, when he welcomes us to next week's Money in But that didn't feel terribly clear to me. Like, I'm not so sure if this was something that Kevin Owens had thought about when he was trying to convince himself over the course of three hours that he wasn't that guy. When in reality he is that guy, I would much rather it was calculated because I don't know. I think that looks better on Big E. I think it looks better on Big E that he was never going to, like really taking him at his word in the first place, but
3: ultimately where we're at is probably where we should be. Yeah, I would like to clarify next week. Just keep it simple, God damn it. Don't make Biggie look because there's a shred of doubt over whether we should sympathise with Kevin Owens. Get rid of that. He's a new goddamn WWE champion. Let me like him. A leopard can't change his spots. Basically, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair
2: enough. Uh, but uh, as much as it was, you know, a brutal beating and the power bomb on the apron and stuff. I just didn't care at that point. I, You know, obviously care about Biggie's well-being, but I just got infuriated by this finish. Hence why I tried not to talk about it too much. And on that note, we will wrap things up. Do let us know your thoughts on Monday Night Raw on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. Uh, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. Or Michael Sidgwick at msidgwickwhatculture.bigcartel.com to get your hands on his brilliant new book, uh, All About AEW. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, but this has been The Raw Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thanks to Mimi and everyone who suggested our five-star review review. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. How
0: up?